everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Journey Within Podcast. Got a great guest on with me today, Wade Middleton. Um, and we're going to get into Wade's background, but as, as I look at it, Wade's one of those, uh, if you think the outdoor and fishing industry, you kind of think think Wade, and I don't know if you're on the icon status yet or not, Wade, but you got to be getting pretty darn close. How are you doing today? I'm great, Mark. I, I, uh, I don't think I'll ever hit icon status. I'm just still that little kid that likes to hunt and fish and wants to keep going. And hopefully they don't ever, nobody wakes up and says, man, he really shouldn't be doing this the way he does it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I hope that, I hope that day never comes either. That's, that's one of the things I hope. So how, how long have you been in the, the outdoor industry? I've got just right at 30 years. I was um, in there. You know, it was my dream as a little kid, and I took a funny path. I, I went to college. That didn't work. Went to the Air Force, and that was probably my, but one of my best decisions ever. And then while I was in the Air Force, um, I was, you know, guiding and doing some fishing stuff, fishing bass tournaments, and, of course, fishing and hunting for fun. And I answered a three-sentence classified ad in the back of the san antonio express news wanted part-time hunting and fishing guides send resume and uh, that kind of launched my professional career from from there honestly so the the ad wanted uh uh, guide so you started in the industry guiding (laughs) it's really started in the industry guiding i i mean i had been a tournament bass fisherman you know for a while before that but really what what opened the door for me in the media industry was that, and it turned out to be the triple seven ranch outside of Hondo, Texas, okay. back when it was really, really blowing and going back when slim craps owned it. And, uh, they hired me to be a fishing guide and I kept trying to figure out if, did I, am I supposed to pay them on Sunday when I leave? Because <laughs> it was like the greatest, you know, you know, a part-time gig, you're, you know, you're getting to go fishing and hunting in this world-class resort destination with other people. I just, I kept trying to give them money and they said no no we pay you wait so that's that's awesome because that's uh, um anybody that's in the industry i try to touch on during the podcast here just because our the number one question i can't tell you why number one question i get a lot is how how do you get into the outdoor industry and i try to tell everybody the outdoor industry is huge right like it's not everybody kind of correlates it to the the person you see on tv but if you break it down from there all the brands that are there from marketing managers to uh purchasing to manufacturing like the outdoor industry is huge and has ton of ton of fingers just going everywhere with it um so i love i love hearing the background of just how you got into the industry and and so let's let's back up a little bit before you before we get onto that triple seven and kind of go from there how the last 30 years has gone when you were a kid i assume did you grow up in texas with the accent you have to right like that's a texas accent (laughs) I actually grew up in Oklahoma, uh, oh. but I was right on the Texas-Oklahoma border, and I mean, literally almost on the Red River, and that was kind of all of our stomping grounds for me and, and all my buddies there in the Washita River, and we would run around duck hunt, skip school. I mean, we, we were the, the classic kids that we did not bad things. We just skipped school to go hunting and fishing, yep. and, and that's, that's just all we wanted to do. Was there any type of favorite hunting that you did when you were younger, or was it just anything? We duck hunted mostly. That that area was so well known back then for public land access, and you know we, we that allowed us to and we fished. And I've I've really come to correlate a lot of the youthful initiatives now fishing and duck hunting it's easy access for for kids and it doesn't require private land a lot of times to find success and that was our great playground we we deer hunted on and and all of that stuff growing up our success rate was very low (laughs) but we did every now and then scratch them out but it was really duck hunting and bass fishing as kids that got us going no, that's uh, and two great activities, right? Because you can kind of yes. you don't have to be quiet the whole time, and you can do it as a group. Like still today, those are some of the best things you can do to get used yes. into the outdoors. Yeah. Well, you love to duck hunt. I know. That's yeah, a yeah. Big pass. No, I, I do love. I do love to duck hunt, and I could be probably the world's worst fisherman. So that was actually for anybody listening. That's where Wade and I um, originally met. It was on a Cabela's yes. trip down in uh, Louisiana, and I, I've like that was my first destination. Um, trip and thank goodness I got put in Wade's boat because he he didn't make me feel like that much of a moron when I couldn't do anything on there. He was helping me so I I could kind of keep the image with everybody from Cabela's there. 
Well, the good thing about Venice is you can throw it out and shake it, and it seems like something comes alive to bite it. That may be one of the best fisheries in the world. That was so. Again, I'm not, I'm not a I'm not a fisherman, even though I live right like I can I can throw a softball to Lake Michigan from my house. My uh, born and raised right here, right? Like you think salmon, you think Lake Michigan, and I'm just it's just not me. I love hunting. Fishing's okay, but like I'll, it's it's just not what I do. I'd rather go out and do something in in the hunting world. And I remember after that trip, I got back and I was like, I told Dad, I'm like, Dad, we got to go. I'm like, this is you you will love it down there. And he's like, What are you talking about? I'm like, No, Dad, trust me, you have got to go. This is like nothing that we've ever done before. Yeah, it is, and it's such a scenic boat ride too. You bust out, you go down the Mississippi River, you get in all those little canals and all the wildlife that's coming out. And I mean, it it truly, it is a sportsman's paradise, as they call it. And I just I hope it's protected and and lasts forever because it it is a neat destination. It is for sure. Okay, so now we're gonna we're gonna fast forward through the youth and and Air Force didn't work out. You you went to that ad on triple seven. So explain, like. Over the course of your early years, how did how did it come to be a, a TV host and, and so forth? Well, at that time, the Triple Seven was really big on inviting every TV show in the world to come down to help promote them. And I had been a TV, you know, I was that kid that watched every TV show that come on. I mean, mm-hmm. Jimmy Houston was my god. You know, he was, I just looked up to him. And so I really had spent a lot of time and was familiar with all the all the TV shows. So they came to me and said, invite them. And as I invited them, I got to know more and more people in that industry and understand it. And, and, you know, it was just, it was a simple, easy passion. And that's how I first met the team at Carico. They had come out, they were based out of San Antonio. And then as, as my life changed and, you know, I did all kinds of different things. I just become more and more ingrained in that you know, I, I look, I look up at it now and I'm like, wow, what a cool journey to end up where I did. No. And that's, and so you, you're one that really has a schedule that never stops because with what you film, you're filming fishing and you're filming hunting. So it's like one, one busy season to the next. How many days are you in the field a year? You know, I, I really, my wife and I were talking about it the other day and we don't know. <laughs> you know, we really don't want to know at times. And, you know, right now we're filming the Bass Pro Shops National Walleye Tour uh, up at Spring Valley, Illinois. He's got a team there. We've got some folks out doing some other uh, turkey hunt right now as well. So there's, you know, as a brand and a company, we, you know, we, we're involved in a lot of different stuff. So, and you know, I don't go to all of them. A lot mm-hmm. of times I get credit for a lot of things that are going on in our brand, but we've got a great team of people that, that really handle a lot of stuff. And how, so as you trans transition into TV, like how I, I know you're the, the president and co-owner of Carico now, but like, how mm-hmm. did that, can you talk about how that relationship kind of formed and, and just for anybody listening, like advice yeah. along the way? You know, I was, I was still competing at tournaments. I was uh, actually running a fishing lodge out of Mexico, doing some outfitting and a little bit of deer hunting. Carico had approached me. Um, I had moved on from the triple seven and Carico had approached me about doing some part-time hosting at that point. And really a lot of it honestly was to help Reed Ryan, Nolan Ryan's son, who had a huge relationship with Cabela's understand more about fishing uh, right. because there was one of our programs was fishing and hunting Texas. And it's, we still have that program today. So uh, they, once again, I, I kept trying to pay Charles Goodlow at the time to why, why are you paying me to go sit on the boat and teach this guy how to fish? Mm-hmm. This is like a dream gig. And it, and it really kind of evolved from there. Um, then we got into the tournament filming business and it just, you know, it just started working more and more. And then next thing I knew I was a full-time employee. And then we had the chance to buy the company uh, myself and Kevin Gieske a little over 15 years ago. And, and it's once again, it's just continued to be a dream. That's awesome. So we got back up there. There are two things I got to ask out of that. I'm going to get to read Ryan there. Cause obviously mm-hmm. Nolan Ryan's son, that that's got to be talked about. Um, but Mexico, where were you outfitting? 
for when you when you were first doing that? What part of Mexico? Yeah, it, up in the Sinaloa Mountains there, outside of El Fuerte, there was a lake called El uh, called Huites that had been built in the 90s, and it was an incredible bass fishery. And we were doing a little bit of dove hunting around El Fuerte, Lake Dominguez, and, and some of those places there. But mostly we were running about 100, 150 fishing trips a year up uh, up into those mountains. Mm-hmm. And it was just gorgeous. It was a unspoiled paradise. There was not very many people up there at the time. And you know, it was really neat to be at the, I don't know, the ground level of a new lake and watch that develop. No, that's all. That is awesome. I, I like things like that. So, okay. So on to, on to Reed Ryan now, um, I'm a, Big baseball guy, Nolan Ryan, in my opinion, hands down best baseball player or best pitcher. Absolutely. Best pitcher of all time. Like, I, I, if anybody hasn't watched the documentary that Netflix just put out on, you have to. Like, it, it's, it's one of the best. Oh, man. One of the like, best. It, it got me fi- – like, he's, he'd been retired for so long – and like when I was young, he was, he was, I mean, older, but he was still so dominant, right? Like nobody was still to the point, like nobody wanted to hit against him because I mean, you don't know if you're going to get hit. Like there's so much, so many things that are going on. And I just love that demeanor and in, in sports, that's like one of the things that I miss. Cause I think that's gone now. The attempt, intimidation. Yeah. anyway, off on a, off on a side subject there. That's why you caught my attention. I'm a huge Nolan Ryan fan. So read, read Ryan, you were teaching him how to fish for, for something in the outdoor industry yeah so you know cabela's and in the ryan family had a great relationship nolan was a spokesman for a long time and reed was co-hosting some stuff he even did some bassmaster work back then but he you know reed was more of a hunter he kind of really was in line with a lot of your thoughts and everything and fishing was a a sidelight but he you know they you know they were trying to get him to learn more about him so several of my first days i would sit on the back of the boat i remember sitting on the back of the motor on a couple of shoots just trying to kind of coach him through where i wasn't even in the camera hey reed you need to throw this here and this is what's going on because it is very there's a lot of different nuances to bass fishing and and reed was just i mean one of the most gracious people through all of that and of course you know the success that he's had running the you know the different baseball teams for their family he, he quickly moved on to that and found incredible success and that really honestly opened up the door for me to step in and become the host of uh, fishing and hunting texas was when he he said i'm a better baseball player than i'm a bass fisherman oh he, <laughs> so, I, I think he came in the family genes right like that was, yep, absolutely. He, he was he was he was destined to do that eventually but that that's awesome like that like the whole family like i I didn't think I'd be talking Nolan Ryan today, but that's why I love these because you never know exactly what you're going to talk about. Um, so, okay, so over the over the course of of your 30 years, what are some of the favorite favorite things or favorite spots you've been able to go and film? You know, the, I get asked that a lot, and I know you do as well. And, and I think as I've gotten older, I realize that all of them were were really, honestly, pretty special. The ones that you might have had horrible trips on you look back now with a little different demeanor at the end of the day but i i mean i absolutely love to fish on the texas mexico border for bass um that's still one of my favorite lake amstead and lake falcon uh, a little bit of the wild west down there and things like that going on mm-hmm. um i have fallen in love with kentucky obviously okay. you see me there every yep. september now people die laughing when i say i'm, I'm getting in i'm going deer hunting the last couple of days of august when it's 100 yeah. degrees and they roll their eyes but that's some of the you know after all these years of deer hunting all over there's an allure to going over there and the the pretty scenery stuff and now i've fallen in love with africa i've started making trips over there and it just i nothing i, I just really enjoy it all now i'm a seasonal guy i want to bass fish for a few months and then the turkey start gobbling and then i then i want to go saltwater fishing mm-hmm. i i just really like to move with the seasons and, and experience it all oh that's awesome and there is something about that kentucky because even here in michigan it's like that hot sticky and don't and don't get me wrong it's hot and sticky in kentucky very hot very sticky but there there is something about that just kicking your deer season off so early in that whole atmosphere in Kentucky, like uh, yes. urban trail. Like I, I love it all. I love it all. That's yes. I mean, it's why I got a farm there, but I, like, I love, I yep. love, I love all that part. And so I know you just got back from Africa. Where, where were you on this trip? 
we went down to the Eastern Cape, uh, not too far from Grahamstown, uh, you know, kind of close along the Indian Ocean and hunted with the John X Safaris group over there that I'd planned back in the COVID window. Oh, yeah. And, you know, every, all of us, we all got hammered. We couldn't go a lot of time there. And so when it finally had a chance to go back and, and ironically on this trip, I fished three days and ended up hunting five and, you know, got a fish for species of, of fish that I've never heard of, never seen, never would have done before but that you know that kind of just falls into what i like to do i just all the different experiences uh that you know that you get to do mm-hmm. when you kind of keep an open mind and don't just say i'm going to be a bow hunter or i'm going to be a gun hunter or i'm going to be a bass yep. fisherman i i just want to experience it all yep go with the flow and i was just going to ask you of, of your trips to africa how many have you fished on and and what are the different the areas one. you fished on? that was the first one over there that you've been able to fish right, on first one that I fished. yeah and and i really I, I went out of my way to try to figure this out and I just was fortunate enough to find a guy that had always dreamed about doing some fishing stuff. And, and it really kind of opened up a, a, a new, new area of conversation. I, it, it just was totally different. I mean, I've never seen water that clean and clear in a tidal estuary and it was just amazing. And the fish that we caught were not big fish, you know, they were yeah. light line fishing. Um, I mean, if we'd had that same rod and reel when you and I were in Venice, I mean, our line would have been gone and busted in about 12 seconds. And so it was really just kind of a light line excursion and, you know, but with the monkeys, you know, mad at all the predators oh, up yeah. on the side of the hill, we saw bush buck and yala watering while we were fishing. And I don't know many places in the world you could have that kind of an encounter. No. And that's, that's like, I tell everybody because there are people that are on the fence about going to Africa and experiencing all. And I'm like, once you, once you wake up over there for the first morning, like <laughs> you'll fall in love with it. Cause it's so, I mean like that, that what you just said, right? Like how many spots can you be on, on the side of, of water and there'll be monkeys and bush bucks and all this stuff just right there. It's I, I've, couldn't agree more with what you said it it uh, you know i and i had been exposed to a lot of those different species through obviously texas i mean a lot of them are very prolific mm. down here in texas but it's not the same i mean the the environment the the people the hunt what it means to them for you to be there yep. how they you know how appreciative everything is and you know it, it's a it's an adventure i think if you like to hunt and you like to travel you you have to put it on a bucket list for sure so, um, and this is an interesting one. Well, I've never, ever, I have asked a few other producers, but what did you do during the whole COVID window? I mean, you're, you guys were used to producing all sorts of stuff and then it kind of like when it shut down, what did you guys, what did you guys do? Cause like for me, obviously I was an international guy at the time. So like yes. I was completely shut down. So I had to do a 180 and like, that's when I bought the, the, the farm in Kentucky and like, yeah, I had to do all this other stuff. Right. Cause you're, you're trying to generate content all the time. And then for me, it was like just completely put to a halt. And then three months later, it's like, okay, we're, we're semi back, but I couldn't travel anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Well, for for us, we were actually busier than ever because we had such good access to you know Texas. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, you the lakes the lakes had never been busier. Honestly, at the boat ramps, the manufacturers on the fishing side were just they could not make enough baits, and they obviously wanted more content. And so we were leaned on pretty heavy by a lot of our partners to get out and get that. And we had a really large deer lease, you know, out by Del Rio. So we kind of spent that window uh, really, you know, living in those, in that circle, you know, creating as much content as we could for those, those people there. And it was, you know, we just kind of really went into our own little shell for lack of a better word until everybody could travel. And, then once it opened back up, it was to me, it was like nothing had ever changed. We just, you know, hit another gear. But what the one thing I did notice during that was the content consumption on the streaming platforms just went through oh. the roof. And so we had to feed that monster. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so. I mean, it, it went, cr- I mean, there was nothing else for anybody to do, but it went crazy. Yes. And yes. like from our standpoint, like it's let off a little bit, but it's, I mean, it's, it's still like, it seems like people are consuming just a lot more. Yes, I agree totally. So when, like, I've I've fished, I mean, I'm trying to remember here, I fished once in Alaska on film. Um, man, I think that's it. Like, the only time you've ever, out of all the TV shows I've ever done, you'll see me cast a line one time, and it was on a caribou hunt in Alaska. So I, when I ask this question, I truly have no idea because I'm coming straight from a hunting hunting standpoint. But, like, 
what is from a production standpoint, what's the difference between producing a hunting show and a fishing show? You know, from a fishing standpoint, I, I'll play the weather probably more. You know, when hunting, we're going to go pretty much regardless of what the weather is. You adjust a dust, you might choose a different stand, and you can dress different. But from the fishing standpoint, um, when we've got three days – to film we're going we can if the fish are biting we'll get it done in one uh-huh. we're at hunting it might take us a week as you know oh, and yeah. we might not get it done yep. <laughs> but um you know if you can pick the weather and play the weather to your benefit i like to fish on public lakes in the middle of the week when there's less pressure because i can find more dumb fish uh-huh. that way <laughs> and uh you know we just we we can push them out a lot faster on the fishing we do about 50 television episodes a year just on fishing we do probably 40 of them on hunting wow so you're just under 100 episodes so here's yeah. a question you probably there's i don't know if you'll know this or not how many total linear episodes have you hosted in your career i you know i i tried to figure that out two or three years ago and, and i actually don't know I, I really don't know but i've I've maintained that pace for a long time um and i, I can't i can't even guess i mean it's i don't know if it's 2000 because i've done a lot of guest appearances on other shows and things like that but i bet it's it's going to be somewhere in that in that number pretty soon if i haven't already passed it wow so i i thought i was doing pretty good because i'm coming up on my 10th year in the industry and i was trying to figure out how many shows i have and i'm i'm right around 220 and i'm like and then you throw out 2000 no, it was like that was a warm up year for you there that I just I just completed. That was yeah. Well, we we just we just we do a lot and and you know and oh, yeah. it's it's been pretty amazing <laughs> to look back on how many we've done with all the different titles and you know and all the different people we've worked with and there's still so many people I want to shoot a show with as as time goes on and and like I said I just hope nobody. Yeah, and I have quite a few years on you still, you know, Mark. Oh. So you you got a good chance to catch up. Well, I don't. I don't. I mean, that's a that's a. I mean, that's a hefty hefty number there. I was not expecting that, but then all of a sudden yeah. you said under a hundred a year, and I'm like, oh man, that is. I've started doing yeah. the math in my head. No, that's so. Of all those, then, like, I'm gonna ask you probably one of the toughest questions. What's what's your favorite hunting memory or fishing memory across that? Like if, if you probably get it all the time, cause that's one of the questions I get. What's your, what's your favorite spot or, m- or memory since yeah, you've been filming? You know, hunting wise, um, and I, I've got two of them. One of them ties back to my son who was like five years old and we were catfishing and he had brought every tool, every toy that I think he owned and put it in the boat and he's swinging around and you know he's 28 years old now and this is five he was five then so i mean there's every little power ranger and toy that is known <laughs> to mankind and legos everywhere and he's just running around the boat and you know and i'm catching fish and handing them to him uh-huh. and the editor just sped it up you know and he's like a kid on on every piece of sugar in the world mm-hmm. and it was just it's just funny to watch and look at now and then hunting wise <laughs> there was a um, I was featured in that uh, one of the Cabela's big game hunters years ago, uh, shooting a deer we call pincushion that had been wounded by several of my buddies. And okay. I mean, like you could see the arrow marks, and I thought the deer was dead. We hadn't seen him in a year and a half, and he comes walking across the a pond dam and i just like there's pin cushion and, and i took him and it just i still have that mount like right over our camp and it's just it's one of those deals it's like where did that deer go for two years and what he overcame and he was seven our best guess when i shot him and it gone downhill a lot but the scars on him you can oh. see where all the hits had been and it just just an, an epic one to me that, you know, on my hunting career, and he's not even close to any of the biggest deer I've ever shot. It just was one of the most meaningful ones to, to, you know, to capture and, and tell that story. Oh, that's, a, that's, that's one of those old warriors that mean more, yes. than, more than score or size ever will. Yep. It's just the stories yep. behind it. So of your, of your hosting, who are some of the, like the, your favorite people that you've had on the show, celebrities or, or politicians like that, any of those people? 
You know, I've, I've been real lucky. I've hunted with a lot of, a lot of athletes, uh, Brett Favre, all the way down to, you know, been around the Nolan Ryan family. Uh, you know, let's see people like Dante Jones, football players, uh, country music singers like Justin Moore, you know, just all kinds of different people that I've, that I've had uh, been a chance to be a guest with. And I think the neatest stuff was in a Brett Favre story. We, he, he was looking at starting his own outdoor TV show and him and some of the Cabela's folks came out and we went hunting with him and he brought his iPad and this is how down <laughs> home and, and just this guy was just like the whole time he's like, look at my grandson. He's texting me. I mean, he was all about his kids. Uh-huh. And during that hunt, it's like, he didn't have any camo. He had to borrow my <laughs> camo. All three of the arrows he bought, none of them matched. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was just the most laid back, down home guy. It's like your buddy that you went to high school with and, and stuff. It wasn't this superstar NFL Hall of Famer. He was just just all one of us. And I, I don't think I'll ever forget that because he even, you know, a turkey came out and we were going to shoot that turkey with his bow and he missed the turkey and it hit a concrete uh, water trough uh-huh. and the arrow stuck in there. And I took that arrow and put it up on my mantle up there and I said, I'm, you don't get this back. <laughs> so, but you're just really, really laid back. You know, people like that, there's no pretense to it. Yeah. Justin Moore was the same way. The country singer. I mean, we're riding around in the back of a truck telling stories, you know, trying to stop through a rainy, muddy day. And I mean, he was just the same, you know, just the same way. That's awesome. That's awesome to hear those. Cause that's a, a lot of the, our social medias and so forth today. You don't get to see their real colors. Um, like no. you would in a hunting situation like those. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers. If we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that mint mobile wireless plans are $15 a month, when you purchase a three month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com waypoint. That's mintmobile.com waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Eating better is easy with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, which is the one I like, and Keto. Get started today and get after your goals. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 and use the code waypointpod50 to get 50% off. That's waypointpod50 at factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 to get 50% off. Yep. The passion all those guys yeah. had. I mean, they, they come from that background and, you know, they're, they, you know, they may be great at what they do, but a lot of them are just really true outdoorsmen mm-hmm. and fishermen. And, and, you know, they, they don't get a chance to be that a lot of times. Nope. No, they don't. So where you film um, a lot of your stuff in, in Texas, the property you lease there, uh-huh. um, so I've got a I've got a fact here that somebody somebody shared with me that you're going to have to put some more content. Is there one location on your farm there um, where people from the Big Buck Hunter video game came? Yeah. Oh yeah. No, that's the killing tree. <laughs> Is it okay? So you got to explain yeah. this to me. <laughs> well, there's you know in our part of Texas there isn't a lot of, of big trees where we're hunting. I mean, there you know most everything's about eight or ten feet tall and there's like five big oak trees and one of them is this you know there's it's probably a hundred year old tree and there's a water well right by it that runs out feeds down in there and uh you know we we just really like that whole setup and thing and now i'm not sure if you're talking about that or if you're talking about the guy that we were teaching to build the video game it could be the video game story where the guy was building who's from from england 
So it could be one of the two stories. That was that was the one. It was the guy from with, with that didn't have the background that was building okay, the game. That's that one. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And and hey, I, I mean, as a long term guide, I get everything. I, I I didn't do my best job of guiding on this. So this guy comes in and he's in charge of building all the hunting games. Uh-huh. And you know he he shows up with like I'm pulling price tags off of his camo while we're walking down to the range, and he's got this Bowie knife on his hip that's like two foot long. I mean, everything is like creaking because it's all brand new straight out of a box. And we go shoot the gun. We talk about what we're going to do in the morning. It's We get set up. It's dark. And I'm sitting there and the camera guy's behind him. He's sitting right next to him. We're looking down this little two track and sun kind of peeps up. It's a beautiful morning. Birds are singing. He's looking through his gun. And the next thing I know, the gun goes off. Well, I'm fa- I fall over in the bushes. The cameraman's backwards, hats, everybody. And he's like, smoked it just like the video game just like the video game and i'm like i mean my ear i don't even know what's happened well this poor little doe stuck her head (laughs) out from behind a bush and in the video game you shoot you shoot the doe (laughs) you shoot the doe you don't even think anything about it you shoot the doe so and and i'm thinking to myself i'm like he really in his world didn't do anything wrong. That's what they do. He knew where the vitals was. He said, I could see the heart pumping. And, you know, and he, he's the guy. And he smoked the poor doe. And I'm like, well, that's not really how we do it. But I understand, buddy. And, I mean, my poor camera guy, his <laughs> eyes were, like, blown out of his head. And, like I said, my hat was sideways. And, and I, you know, I, I couldn't be mad at him because I didn't tell him that's what's going to happen. It, you know, we're just sitting there, and I'm thinking – you know, deer's going to show up. We're going to talk about it. We're going to discuss it. He's going to shoot it, and and so that was the end of the end of the poor doe. <laughs> so, oh, that, <laughs> that that was definitely the story. That was that was the one. That, so I uh, that's what I thought afterwards. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. So I've got a similar story. My um, I live on on West Michigan, and I travel to Grand Rapids. I see a trainer there. I've got some shoulder, and just like anybody as you get older, I got shoulder and knee problems. Right for me, the mountains keep getting taller, and the walks keep getting longer. So I got to go to a (laughs) trainer to to help me help me keep going here from old seems like old sports injuries. Right, that's what they're always from. So he he's just getting into hunting though. He's he's in his um, probably mid to late forties. Obviously, he's he's fit and in a gym. He that's that's his domain, right? Well, over the course, he, he wants to get lean meat. So he gets in, into deer hunting here in Michigan, and, and he has some property that he lets fr- that friends let him go out on. And he's he's gone out. Last year, he went out and didn't shoot anything. And this year, he had, he or this past year, he'd, he was going out and not, not seeing anything. And I had helped him get trail cameras and portable blinds and, and you name it, right? And he wasn't seeing anything. And I'm in my place here in Michigan. I'm like, man, I go out in the afternoon. I'm going to see 75 does. And all this guy wants to do is shoot a doe. Right. So I'm like, finally, I'm like, all right, let's get a schedule that lines up. Let's, let's get you over and let's get you set up. And I mean, you'll be here for 15 minutes. Right. And the first doe is going to come out. I can guarantee it. So we get them. And on the walk in, I instantly know why this guy's never seen a deer in the field. Right. Talking just full (laughs) volume, just hitting every branch on the way in. I mean, just as as noisy as you can be. And I'm like, it's still not going to matter because we're going to get in the blind. We'll close the door. I'll get I'll give just a little. Hey, we got to be really quiet. I'll give it. That'll be fine. Right. We get in there and yep, it's noisy. We're slamming doors like it's stuff I went over with my kids when they were four. And yep. you get in there and you're all right, you gotta be quiet. We they do have really great hearing and their eyesight's awesome. Now we're elevated, so it's gonna give us and you can go through the whole the whole thing, right? And it was about twenty minutes later, the first doe starts to pop out. And I'm and I and I've got a pair of binos so he can use them and I I pull up and I'm like, There's a doe coming coming from the left. It's gonna walk right into the food plot and our food plot ends at ninety yards, right? So it's a it's a slam dunk. And I'm sitting here, I don't have my hearing protection on, and I wear hearing <laughs> protection all the time. Like, I don't I don't let my kids shoot yeah. without it, and I don't shoot without it, because I've been in too many hunting camps to where nobody yep. can hear what's going on, because all yep. the shells. And I just, I won't. And I'm sitting there, and I mean, in my head, we're seven to ten minutes away from this deer walking in the food plot, and this deer's not going anywhere for an hour. 
I mean, an hour. We've got all day. Like, no no reason. I'm just sitting there, and I'm looking to see, and I'm hoping truly in my head that I had a big buck that was coming in. I was tagged out, and I was hoping that this big buck was not going to follow, right? Like, I was checking trail cams, and, like, he was there all morning, and I'm like, I know what's going to happen here. And I'm looking around, and all of a sudden, just, whoa, boom, blows me out of the blind. I have no clue what's going on. I mean, my ears are ringing. It's echoing in there, and he looks over, and he goes, I missed. And I'm like, what are we, what are you shooting at? What are we doing? No, it's not even in the open yet. It's in, it's in the trees. And, I, and he's like, I'm like, so I give him now I give him the story of like, we can wait. We gotta, we gotta wait till it's stopped. We gotta wait till it's broadside, like go over this. And, and to me, like in my head, I'm like, man, I didn't go over that. Like it was, my, it's my fault, right? Like, okay, he's an older guy, but he's just getting into hunting, and all he's seen is stuff that's on TV, but he hasn't seen it, and in video games and like everything he reads, right? So uh-huh. you don't know. Okay, he's like, we're not gonna see any other ones. All right, I just I, he and he instantly goes to the dark spot of we're not seeing anything. I'm like, trust me, 15, 20 more minutes, they're gonna be more does out. Now they're probably not gonna come from that direction. Um, and it's not going to be that doe. That doe is now in another another county. That doe is <laughs> that doe's gone. But we're going to get another shot. And about 15, 20 minutes later, here comes uh, a couple more does. There are two older does and, and one fawn. And I'm like, okay, we're just going to watch them for a little bit and see which, see which one the fawn sticks close to, and then we'll get whichever one gets the best shot, right? Perfect. This time, though, I'm not doing the second mistake. I put my hearing protection on right away. So I put that on right away just because I, even though he gave me the head nod, I'm still, okay, I've got the hearing protection on. And I kid you not, it was the first time the, the, the biggest doe stepped into an opening to where her front shoulder was semi-open. He let her fly again. And I, at mm. this point, I'm like, listen, we're not, he missed too. And all these shots are like 100 yards. And he missed. I'm like, oh boy, this is going to be challenging. But we that, that time, I'm like, all right. They're not going to run away. It's not like the property that you've hunted or you haven't seen any, right? Like these does are, they live here a hundred percent. They eat on this food plot every single day of their life since they've been born. They're not leaving. And he's like, that's it. We're not going to see anymore. Now I'm looking at my watch and I'm like, man, we're getting a little tight on time. We, there's going to be more out. The next one comes out about 15, 20 minutes later, same thing, unexpected, like those eating on the food plot. This time he, we finally get it, and I'm on the binos, and I, and I finally give him the, okay, now's, now's the time. Completely broadside, 75 yards, and he shoots, and I don't see any reaction in the doe. And it runs off, and I'm like, man, he missed again. And now I'm sick, and I'm like, man, I should have brought my gun. He's got his, he's <laughs> yeah. got his gun, but I'm like, listen, I got, I, I go out of the blind. I check on all these. I go out of the blind and check. I'm like, let me go check. And on this one, he actually hit it and it died about 75 yards away. He hit it. Perfect. Ecstatic, just ecstatic. Yeah. But it reminded awesome. me that of just bringing a new, a new adult hunting. I didn't go through the same thing when I go with kids. And that was, that, right. that was a hundred percent my mistake of being in the field and, and assuming more, than what they know, right? Because they've never done it before. It's, and he's from a city. He, does, he doesn't know. 100%. Yeah. 100%. And I look back on it, same thing. I'm yeah. like, I didn't – I would not do that with a kid. Nope. And and I would walk them through the whole thing, how it's going to go down. And I just assumed too much, and I had the same experience. Mm-hmm. But the next the next funny one was, so I get them set up, take pictures and so forth. Now I'm like, okay, I'm going to run to my – run to my grab my truck, pull out here, and I've got a tub in the back, throw the deer in the tub, and then it drags a lot easier. Him being a trainer, he goes, I'll just drag it. And I'm like, well, never done this before, have you? Especially a doe. I'm like, I'm going to go get the tub. You can start dragging it if you want, and I'll, I'll meet you. I met him. He'd probably dragged it 50 yards, sweating profusely, and be like, that was way harder than what I ever thought it would be. <laughs> I'm like, exactly. That's that's not dragging a sled. That is a deer in the woods. Yeah, and y'all's deer are not, not necessarily very skinny either. No, nope, nope. we, get, we get the big-bodied deer here. Know when and where to hunt with HuntWise. No matter where I am in the world, I'm always dropping pins and tracking my adventures through their mapping features. And one of my favorite features that they have is RutCast. It's perfect to help me know when and where and exactly what stand to hunt during the rut. Search HuntWise in the App Store and use promo code MP25 to get 25% off a Pro or Elite HuntWise membership. Again, that's promo code MP25 for an additional 25% off their Pro or Elite HuntWise membership. Gotta check them out. 
From my Upland Slam in 2019 to the South America Waterfall Slam in 2022, anytime I'm headed on a wing shooting adventure, I'm always picking up my Benelli shotgun. If you want to dominate the skies, shoot a Benelli. See their full line of Benelli shotguns online at BenelliUSA.com or drop into a retailer near you. Black Bear Bison or Whitetails, it doesn't matter where I'm going or what I'm hunting, Sever Broadhead has the right broadhead for me. They are the best expandable broadheads I've ever used. Give them a try. Right now, use promo code MP5 online at SeverBroadheads.com for an additional 5% off an already discounted product for the best possible deal. Again, that's MP5 at SeverBroadheads.com. No matter where I'm hunting in the world, I'm always wearing my Mindel boots. I guess you could say I sort of live in my Mindel hunting boots. And right now at MindelUSA.com, using promo code MPJourney, you can get a free pair of hunting socks when you order your pair of boots. Again, that's promo code MPJourney at MindelUSA.com. Now back to the journey within. So on your on your the the property you lease over there in Texas now I know you got whitetails and turkeys on it. Do you have exotics on it too in that part? Of Texas? We do, we do a lot of free ranging exotics. I don't think people realize how much the the growth has been on the exotics on the low fences in Texas. I mean, we've got Axis, we've got Audad, we even have Red Stag, probably a dozen Red Stag now running around. Uh, you, you'll you see Fallow, you'll see occasionally Black Buck coming through. And all of them are, you know, escapees from somebody's high fence mm-hmm. in the area. But, you know, because we work so hard on management programs and free choice protein and all that, it's amazing how many of them come in. And, and uh, I mean, you know, our, our mutual friend, George, I mean, he's so addicted to oh, yeah. it. I think he's kind of moved in down there with me to a couple of times a year because he's trying to kill an axis with his bow. And mm-hmm. they know when he leaves Kentucky because everybody <laughs> else kills <but> George. <laughs> that's, about, that's about right. I was actually just down um, last week. I was uh, Neil guy hunting um, mm-hmm. just south of the King Ranch down there in Texas. And like that was the, the same thing, right? It's 15,000 acres, free range in to go down there, the, and you hear this all the time. The closest thing I could compare it to it was Africa. Yes, right? it's, yeah. they're they're a big bodied animal. There's not a lot of predators down there that's going to take one of them out, and the habitat and the weather just allows them to flourish. And that's what it sounds like mm-hmm. with all the exotics you got on on your place too. Yeah, and they're big properties, and you know everybody's starting to learn the value to them and managing them. And those big blue bills that you were hunting down there, those big nil guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, they. That's such an interesting story how they were brought in to, you know, for the cowboys so they wouldn't eat, you know, the cattle mm-hmm. back in the early days and how prolific they have become. And, and they're a fun hunt. I mean, they're on the move a lot. Big animals, yep. really, really a pretty coat to them as well. They were way – like I'd always wanted to go on a Neil guy hunt. It was just one of those, and the schedule finally worked out for me to sneak down. Way, way cooler than what I was expecting. And tougher, yes. just the, like, you know, I don't know if it was just where we were hunting them, but they were in some thick, nasty stuff, and you'd see them, and then you're trying to get a shot, and you're bouncing back and forth, and they're in the thick stuff all the time. It was just, it was, it was a great hunt. Yeah, now that country down in there, it, it gets a lot more moisture down in there but, than a lot of the other places, and so the undergrowth is, it's pretty thick. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a legitimate hard hunt for a lot of people. The only thing for me is where I live, there are no poisonous snakes, and down there there are a few poisonous snakes. So <laughs> we saw everywhere. a snake skin that was, I don't know, six feet long. And I'm like, this is this is not good right here. I am out of my element. <laughs> yeah, no, they're you know, and, and we see a lot of snakes here where we hunt at, but we see most of them when it's super cold. Everybody's always worried about turkey season, and I'll see like two or three, but come the wintertime, they're always right in the middle of the trail sunning. So, uh, yeah, we're, we learn to dance pretty quick. <laughs> learn to dance do you have so when you go out during turkey season do you wear snake boots i do sometimes okay I, you know i i've just you know i figure at this point if one gets me I've, i'm way probably past due getting bit um mm-hmm. at this point in my life but i do wear snake boots sometimes but i more wear them to dodge the cactus and the thorns and some yeah. of the thickets we're in than, than anything uh, i'm not as necessarily as worried about snakes anymore Listen, I'm I'm a northern guy. Story about snakes. It was one of those things I, <laughs> I showed up and, and the outfitter and guide had snake boots on, and I instantly went, "Son of a 
gun. I didn't, didn't, even, <laughs> didn't even think about it. And I'm like, so you just got those on for looks, huh? And he laughs and goes, yeah, we'll probably see one or two today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there's quite a few big uh, buzzworms down in that part of the world down there. There's there's probably more rattlesnakes in that part of the world where you are than where, where we hunt most that, of the time. That's what that's what he made it sound like. So I stuck pretty close behind him where I was, where I was walking <laughs> and tried not to veer left or right. I understand that. <laughs> yeah. So let's explain, um, like, how Carico's – relationship is with the pursuit channel obviously i'm on the on the pursuit channel have yes. been for a number of years love it and and i think it's a great source for for hunting and fishing content and and do it right and so forth but let, like what's the relationship there that you have so one of our divisions of our company is to to work with producers like you and many others to get their programs on on networks that fit for them and the pursuit channel has been our great hook and bullet network partner for almost 15 years now since they started and the reason i'm a fan of what they do is they kind of get whether you're a guy that can go to africa or whether you're just filming on your home farm you know they they really try to spread the good news for the outdoor and we help manage all the programs that come through there, help talk to them, help work with them, help coach them through some of the things. And then, you know, the other part of our business is we do, you know, we put programs anywhere from ESPN to Discovery Channel to small regional sports networks. And and that's kind of how we built that relationship with, with Pursuit is we jointly needed each other for more outlets. Gotcha. Gotcha. No, no, that's, that's that kind of leads into like, so 30 years, how have you seen the outdoor, I wouldn't say, I'm going to call it TV, even though it's like the TV part of it, the production part of it change over the 30 year process since, since you've been in the industry? I think the biggest thing is the cost to get started has changed. Mm-hmm. You know, used to, you had to have a 50 to $70,000 camera. You had to have 50 to a hundred thousand dollars worth of editing equipment. And now the cameras are even, I can run. I yep. tell people, I mean, I, you know, they're, they're, they're not, they don't weigh 50 pounds and they don't have a bunch of buttons that I'm scared to death to touch. Yep. <laughs> and, 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 you know, guys are making really good high quality stuff with GoPros and talking to the camera and the networks have really changed in their requirements, mm-hmm. you know, and I think a lot of that really came out of COVID too. You know, we all learned mm-hmm. how to zoom call to talk to a, you know, a camera in front of them and the networks begin accepting that stuff. Yep. And, and so I've seen a, a kind of a loosening for lack of a better word of restrictions on some networks. Some networks are still pretty picky. And I think that's opened the door for a lot of people to be able to get content in a lot of places, whether it's a YouTube, social media, streaming platform, or try to go onto a network. And that's a, that's a, that's a good one. I, I mean, this is one I talk about all the time and um, the, the cost of starting is, is different, right? Cause you can self film yes. a lot of your stuff now with, and like when I started 10 years ago, I want to say our, our, we were going to the field and it seemed like we had about 40 grand worth of equipment that we were bringing with us every, every yes. time you went and you, and all of a sudden it would rain or it would snow and you're sitting there going, Oh man, something's going to go down. What is going to go down now? But now it's like we travel and we still have great cameras, but it's like a DSLR, a GoPro, mm-hmm. a drone, and you're just about all set for everything that you would need to do along the way. That's right. And, you you know, the, the, the neat thing about it, you know, like I said, I was a little kid that dreamed of, of doing what I do now. And it's easier for a little kid that has those dreams now to get his content out mm-hmm. and see where it goes. And, you know, whether it doesn't matter which platform you end up putting it on. There's, you know, you're going to build your own if you work hard enough and stay at it long enough. I mean, I was really too dumb to quit when I didn't have two nickels to rub together because I just loved it that much and woke up, you know, 30 years later and people think I had something important to say and I really hadn't changed, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's just, I just wanted to go hunt and fish and I'd pay to go if yep. I had to. Yep. But, um, you know, when you look at that, you know, a guy crashed a drone in the river in Africa and he just, you know, if we'd have done that 10 years ago, we'd be like, wow, that's $10,000. Yep. Now it's like, eh, it's 800 bucks and $800 yeah. is still a lot of money, but it's not the end of the world. Exactly. You know, and, and people can risk it a little more. They can work on it a little more and, you know, and, and there, if, if you work hard at it in this industry, I think over time you will get where you're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And there, and there are a lot of people that can start now 
Um, I mean, you start small, right? You start with your own social media uh-huh. channels and, and something big happens, right? You shoot a big buck or, or you've got the personality for it. And it's, I mean, it can springboard right away now. Yes. And all of a sudden you get a personality that you've never even heard of. And then six months later, he's just got a huge personality and following behind him and, yes. and just watch that brand grow. That's been, that's been the cool part. And then you can get extremely niche now. Also yes, in the outdoor, very, very, yes. very razor thin, like what I focus on and get a huge following behind you. Right. Cause there's still people that it's all about information. How do I get smarter and, and better and, and so forth. And you, I've seen a lot more of those people pop up that are extremely knowledgeable, right? Like great yes. in their crafts and, and to watch them pop up has been cool to see. Yeah. The experts in their field and people, like you said, they will search out, others will search out because they're interested mm-hmm. in it. If when they put out good content that is legitimate and it's authentic and it's from the heart, it, it, it really carries over a long way when they do it. And you, you see a lot of guys find great success for that. Um, you know, I think guys like me that like to do it all are going to be harder and harder to survive in the, in this industry long term. Yeah. I think you're going to see more of the niche guys find their deals. The marketers will probably look for those people, but I mean, I'm going to do what I do as long as I can. And like I said, then I'm going to pay them to let me do it a little bit longer. <laughs> <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and that's a, that's a good point. Like I don't have the, the, the fishing, but I mean, I big game hunt. I use my bow. Yep. I use my muzzle loader. I upland hunt. I waterfall hunt. I do international travel. I basically, I, I tell everybody I, I hunt anything that can run, walk, or crawl, right? Anywhere on any continent is is what I love to do. It's all about new experiences. But at the same time, like I go into some of the some of the partners and marketers and they're like, Well, you you kind of cover everything. And I'm like, Yeah, I mean that's that's the person I am. And they're like, Well, we're really looking for somebody just to I mean, really do this with a bow or like this. And I'm like, I do that. I just yeah. don't do it every episode and all the time, right? Like I'm, I'm, I like to consider myself like, like a hunter, like it's Turkey season. I go Turkey hunting. It's in the fall. I can upland hunt behind my dogs. And on Saturday morning, I'm going to go duck hunt in the morning. I'm going to deer hunt in the afternoon, right? Like I'm going to cover everything all, all in and do it all over. And that is a point that, that it, the, the nicheness of it is kind of taking away from, from some of that. And I can, I can sort of see where marketers want to go with that, right? Like you want the specialty person that that's just solely their focus. Yeah. And, but, you know, when you look at some things you do, when you go on the, to try to get the slam of every duck or shoot, you know, everything there, I think that's a, a story in its own mm-hmm. self and adventure. And, and I think there's always going to be room for that type of direction um, top to bottom there. But, but for sure, the niche stuff is, I think probably more searched, but some of the niches are just very small at the end of the day too. You know, like air gun hunting is something that I've become more intrigued with and watched because it's, it's starting to explode, but it's still going to be a niche within, you know, something that you pull the trigger on. And and I think that state by states, each one will address it different. So on the air gun one, um, we're partners with with Benelli, who um, parent huh? company owns Stoger as well, and they came they came to us um, last fall with an idea to do an air rifle thing for um, April Fool's Day, which I, I feel safe. So we're Wade and I are, are recording this. It's it's late in March. April Fool's is coming up, so I can talk <laughs> I can talk about any of this yep. stuff now because it's yep. going to be released by the time this actually airs. Yep. So we did a April Fool. They wanted to do a because they called me the slant the, the slam guy is what Nick over there calls me, and they wanted to do a spoof video to release on April first. So we did it using a Stoger air rifle, and we did we called it the the Michigan Squirrel Slam. So we went out and there are four species, but the way we, we produced it and edited it, it was, you don't know what's going on until about minute five. It's all serious, all background, all talking shots in the field. And like you're, and it's just so intense, right? Like this is the toughest one I've ever had to do. And I do it all right here. Like everything sets up that my editing team did awesome with it, right? Like they just finished it this past week, got all the deliverables off and it's just perfect. And then all of a sudden it goes in and, and you see me running like crazy after a black squirrel. And it, it's just, but that was, that was it. It was using an air rifle. Cause they, they said, we want to do something to release on April fool's day using an air rifle. So 
we go back as our team and, I, and me, I'm like, man, well, I have no idea, right? Like no clue whatsoever. And my team comes <laughs> up with this idea and they're like, well, we should be able to film it in a couple of days. And I'm sitting there going, well, I've done enough of these knowing that, okay, you want me to get all four squirrels. It seems really easy. This is going to take a week. I'm just going to have to grind it out. And that's what it ended up taking. I think it took six days just going out and covering miles for squirrels, right? And now it's down to having to find a gray squirrel. We've got trail cam set up now. It can, it's, it's a full thing. <laughs> but it turned out great. But it was just a really big production for what it is. Oh, the, the Michigan squirrel slam. I, I can't wait to see yeah. that. <laughs> so we, we had the, we had Dan from the wildlife gallery in on it, talking early about this is the biggest project we were ever going to have to do for Mark. We wanted to turn out perfect. And, and like the, it, I have to admit like during the time, like when I was filming it in October, I was between on the road filming on weekends and I coach um, girls basketball here. So yep. I was coaching girls basketball. And then I was doing this literally in the mornings and the afternoon. I'd run from the field and go into practice. And then, like, my day was <laughs> over. And they're like, well, it just said it was going to take a day or two. I'm like, no, you said it was going to take a day or two. It's hunting, right? Like, it doesn't matter what you're going after. If we're trying to get it on film now, it's going to be so much harder. It, it never fails, does it? <laughs> no. So last question, and I always, I always like where this one, this one can lead. Do you think the you think social media has helped or hurt the hunting industry? Whew. Wow, um, that's a good question. <laughs> I think you know I think there are positives and negatives to everything in life. When I really look at that, and I think I think in that I, the, the one thing that I think it is hurt about is I'm, I'm afraid it's drawing it's it's driving wedges between different groups of hunters and if mm -hmm. there's anything we need to be right now it's united i don't care what a person hunts with as long as they hunt them legally and ethically mm -hmm. i think you know if you're a if you're a traditional bow hunter and you don't like a compound bow hunter and you make negative comments about that guy who shot something with a compound bow or a rifle or an air gun or a shotgun or a muzzleloader or a crossbow it, it hurts us all. And in that point, I think it's, I think it's hurt us. But on the flip side, I think there's been some good come out of it because it, it does show certain really neat stories about good things that are going on. The introduction of kids and sharing that stuff and, and you know, getting new hunters in and sharing conservation messages. So I think it's both good and bad. I just wish the bad, like I said, driving a wedge, it gives tools for the keyboard warriors to say things that, that hurt us. Yep. And then, and I think that's, and I'm afraid that might be stronger sometimes than the good. Yep. And sometimes that good, that good always sits in quiet, right? So we have we have on on our uh, on my production team they call it the MP production team. Um, it's who handles our social media, our digital, our editing, and everything, and, and partner relations and so forth. Probably, you you probably got a uh, a big yep. team too. We sit there and and they'll go through. We try to do it every couple of weeks. Some of the comments and so forth. And and what we really like to see is you'll see some of the negative stuff. But we're to the point now that people will hop in and, and get to the defense right. Yep. It doesn't matter if he's using a rifle, right? Like, okay, he's using a rifle, not a bow. It doesn't matter. It's it's rifle season. It, it's just what I choose. Like, and I'm the same. I'm the same way, right? There's, I use everything, but I'm um I probably use a rifle more than I use a use a bow with just when I'm on the field. But I'm like, if if a hunter in Michigan wants to use a rifle and not bow hunt, like you don't know why. Maybe he doesn't have time to practice with his bow. Maybe he has that's shoulder right. issues. Maybe he just prefers a rifle because he feels more comfortable. Maybe it's that simple, right? Like it's all about ethical hunting. And if that's how he feels, it's probably better to have him in a field with a, with a rifle than a bow. And yeah. like, I, I can't, I can't argue with what people want to hunt with. Like for me, a traditional bow, I don't know if I could hit the broadside of a barn with a traditional bow. So I'm I like couldn't. more power to you guys that want to use a traditional bow. Like, you know, all the odds you're against trying to use that in the field. So, but, but still there's some people that look at it and go like, why would you use that? We're past those days. And I'm just like, man, yeah. if you, if you hone your skill good enough to be able to go in the, into the field and feel confident using that more power to you. I agree totally. I mean, if you're, it's like I said, as long as it's ethical and legal and you're doing it within those bounds, I want you to hunt. I yep. don't care what you hunt with. I want you out there. And I just, I get so frustrated when I see those negative comments mm -hmm. about somebody bringing that person down and talking about them. I just, I don't, I don't get that. And, you know, I, 
I don't, I've gotten to where I will respond to, you know, using my personal, here it is, it's me and yep. saying, you know, but, but do it professionally mm-hmm. and with education. But, you know, if they take too, too negative a tone or they start cussing, I just blow them off. I'm yep. like, you're not worth my time at that point. You, you, you know, hopefully somebody else better and stronger can educate you, but you're probably on the, you know, you're probably not the best spokesman for us as sportsmen and mm-hmm. outdoorsmen, conservationists. Yep. Yep. And on that, I know you're what um, I know you're big on getting youth into the outdoors. What are some of the the projects you've helped with and and done in the past? Well, I mean, everything. I think we all go through stages, and mm-hmm. as we get older, that passing on. I know you really like to take your kids mm-hmm. out hunting. We've we've done everything from catch a special thrill events for kids. It's a great underprivileged deal. I, I take a lot of pride in what we built with our college fishing. Uh, tournaments we started doing college fishing tournaments 18 years ago and uh, now a lot of the kids that you know we they fish professionally they work in the industry i'm more proud of all of that than than just going out and shooting a big buck or fishing on my own i think all of those are you know those give me goosebumps Mm -hmm. when we get a chance to go do those things and and watch how they grow and even at you know like i said this will be our 18th season of doing college tournaments i at takeoff, I still get all goosebumps up just like I would if Nolan Ryan was pitching that day. So it's, it's just pretty cool. No, that's awesome. I'm just hoping I get to meet Nolan at some point in time. So <laughs> <laughs> that would be yeah. that would be a, a childhood wish of mine that would that would come true. So they're big hunters down here. <laughs> that's what I think everybody in Texas is. And then you were going over the COVID stuff about living in Texas, and then I was like, man, God bless Texas because he could just yeah. continue on and and keep. Moving. We did. We were we were a tad bit different up here in the north. Yep. Yeah. Well, I heard. well perfect wade thanks for all your time today i know you're off to the bassmaster classic so i don't want to keep you any longer no thanks mark it's always good to catch up we don't ever get enough time to talk and swap stories and this was this was a good special time thank you everyone out there for all the support and downloads don't forget go leave a five-star rating and a written review on apple podcast that always helps also if you're looking to book the hunt of a lifetime go visit wta at worldwidetrophyadventures.com or give the team a call in the office at 1-800-755-8247.